Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Timothy and Pam. If you're wondering what the first and the second readings have in common, nothing deliberate on our part. We're reading through the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm a day, and it was uh, interesting to hear a wedding psalm read out um, and think about what that has to teach us about Jesus and his relationship with his people, etc. But that's not what I'm preaching on today. I'm preaching on Romans 16. So if you'd like to turn that up, I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll look at that. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would teach us today how to praise you, not only with our lips, but in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is an art to making other people look good. Some people have that art and other people don't. Uh, when I look at photos of myself as a child, I'm not sure that my father had that art. Um, he was the family barber. My dad did not use a bowl to cut our hair, but I reckon that was only because he thought he had a straight enough eye to not need a bowl. It was the same style. Um, layering was unheard of. His favourite saying was, do you know the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut? Two weeks, that's right. He'd say it after every haircut. And so as soon as I was old enough, much to my father's chagrin, I started spending my pocket money at the hairdresser people who knew the art of making somebody look good. To you, that might sound like awful vanity, but to me it was a social necessity. <laughs> um, now, the ultimate purpose for which God created everything in this universe, in, including human beings, is his own glory. We are here to make God look good. Now, I don't mean giving him a haircut or anything like that, um, or that he's not already perfectly glorious. But our role is to display the beauty of God's perfections. That's why we are here, along with the whole of creation. This is not a matter of vanity on God's part, as if he sort of needs this in order, he needs to be admired in order to feel good about himself or something. No, this is a matter of what is right and how the universe ought to be ordered. It all works best for everybody's good if everyone and everything is looking to God. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, a sort of classic summary of Reformed faith, says as much. Question one of the Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Answer, it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The thing is, though, that it's an easy thing to say, we're here to glorify God. It's easy to say that, and it's a theory that might make sense to you. I don't think you have to be a Christian for that theory to make sense, that we are here to glorify God but I'm not sure that many are clear on what that actually involves. How do you bring glory to God? Uh, we read in the Bible, the heavens declare the glory of God. And it's easy to see how that works because you go outside at nighttime, you look up at the stars and you think that is magnificent. The creator must be awesome. It's obvious how the heavens declare the glory of God. But how does a person bring glory to God? Is it by, by becoming really impressive, sort of a dazzling person like like the stars in the heavens, that's what we're supposed to be like. Uh, do we become really good at something or do we just become really great people in order to bring glory to God? If so, it seems unlikely, to me at least, that people like us could ever really contribute much to the cause of God's glory. Um, how good are we at making God look good? You and I, after all, are both, all things considered, fairly small, fairly weak, fairly sinful. 
Telling a person that they should bring glory to God is like telling an earthworm to play Vivaldi's Four Seasons on a violin. It's not going to happen in a hurry. They don't necessarily have the faculties, if you imagine the attempt. But we're going to look at a, a doxology today, which is, uh, as Nick said, a short section of the Bible which ascribes glory to God. And we will see something of our part in the glorification of God. So the doxology at the, magnific at the end of the magnificent uh, letter of Romans, uh, in which Paul lays out his gospel in the letter of Romans, the doxology picks up the main thrust of that letter and it says, this should all lead to God's glory. And so uh, if you don't already have it there, Romans 16, the very end of the letter, and there's a talk outline there as well, which you may or may not be able to follow, according to the 8am congregation. <laughs> uh, all the best with the outline. You'll see there, Paul uh, begins verse 25 with the uh, main idea of what displays God's glory, and that is God can establish you. Now to him who is able to establish you. That is, strengthen you, fix you in place, set you up, uh, confirm you. Uh, it's making something fixed and immovable. God is able to establish you. The original word is actually where our word for steroid comes from. Uh, Roman uses the same word in chapter one, uh, Paul uses the same word in uh, Romans 1 verse 11, where he says he wants to go and visit them so that he, he can impart some spiritual gift in order to strengthen them. That is, he wants to solidify them, fix them, make them immovable as Christians. So here in the doxology, we're told that God is able to establish or strengthen us such that where we stand is established and can't be moved, such that our status and our identity with God is fixed, such that our place in the world and our place in eternity is set uh, such that we are strengthened in Christ. Um, that's the goal of God's plans in this world, to lock in, to establish a people that belong to him. How does he do that? Well, Paul says, according to my gospel. Paul's gospel is what establishes people. And so it's not that my gospel says that God is establishing people, it's not just that, but the gospel itself is the means by which God is establishing people. What is this gospel? What is the content? Well, Paul goes on to say it's the preaching of Jesus Christ, the message about Jesus. So that is, it's the message of what God has done through Jesus Christ, uh, which Paul has been laying out in this book of Romans. He is the son of God. He is descended from David. In him, a righteousness from God has been revealed, which is apart from the law, but to which the law and the prophets testify. In the death of Jesus, God demonstrates his love uh, he is the second Adam in whom a whole new humanity is established for God in righteousness. Uh, in him, God keeps his covenant with Israel and reaches out to the nations. So this is the message through which God is now establishing his people. And there is great power in the message about Jesus Christ. As Paul says in chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so something very profound is happening, something is very, very powerful is happening as the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
God is establishing his people. Paul puts it another way in this doxology. He says, the mystery that was kept secret for long ages has now been made known through the prophetic writings. In other words, God's eternal plan was always there in the prophetic writings, that is the Old Testament, but you needed the key to see the plan, and the key is Jesus. Only when you view the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ does the plan become clear, and this mystery is revealed. And now, at last, God has given the command, he's pressed the go button, He sent Jesus, he's appointed Paul to preach the gospel to the nations, and it's all happening. Um, The plan is unfolding, it's been activated. Um, Maybe a little bit like um, when the circus comes to town. The trucks arrive in the field, they set up a perimeter fence around the field. Uh, Inside the perimeter they're setting up their tents and their rides and their displays and everyone's waiting for the circus to open. Then one night they flick the switch on and the lights come on and the rides start up and the music comes on and everything starts to work and there's colour and light and movement and they open the gates and the people come in with their eyes wide and their mouths open at everything they see around them. Well, God has flicked the switch on his eternal plan. Jesus has come. The mystery is revealed. There's a gospel to proclaim to the nations and they are coming in to the obedience uh, of faith in Christ. And now that it's all operational and wonderful, the glory for it all needs to go to God, is what Paul is saying. So God is the God who is able to establish you, and that's why he should be glorified. In other words, this plan works. Uh, And this shows the glory of God's power because of all the forces that are pushing and pulling us away from God. And yet God is able to establish us. And when you think about it, there's a weakness in our flesh, uh, the sinful desires, the the deceitfulness of our hearts, the fuzziness of our heads, and yet God is able to establish us. And there's the strength of the world around us, like a tide pulling us away from God, with also waves battering us to try and dislodge us from God, and yet God is able to establish us. And there's the cunning of the devil who is undermining and tempting and luring and enticing us away from God. And we often don't resist his temptations well, and yet God is able to establish us. I wonder, do you ever wonder whether you'll make it to the end as a Christian? Will you end up in heaven? Well, the fact that God God is able to establish you and win the battle for your soul Um, not only gives you blessed assurance as you trust him for the future, but it also brings great glory to him as the one who is able to do that miracle. And so we, we see God's power there in that he is able. And we also see God's wisdom. Paul says, to the only wise God be glory. Uh, Now, earlier in Romans, Paul broke into a doxology of praise at the end of chapter 11, having outlined Uh, the outworking of God's plan for Jews and Gentiles. He said, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Only the mind of the eternal God could conceive of a plan like this, to reclaim a humanity for himself, to save sinners, to bring a, a recreated people together, Only God could have conceived of a plan at the centre of which 
is the death of his only eternal son on a cross. To the only wise God be glory forever. And this is how glorious and powerful the cross is. It's not just an explosion of glory that flashes and then disappears. And it's not even just like the sun, which burns brightly for however long the sun's going to burn for, but fades away gradually. The cross will shine forever, says Paul, to the eternal glory of God's wisdom and power as the centre of his plan. So God is bringing himself glory by enacting this plan, establishing his people. What is our part in this? Uh, how are we involved in the display of God's glory? What can you and I do to, uh, to play our part? Three points. Number one, we can try to understand the gospel well enough to see the glory of Christ in it. Some people only uh, see the gospel well enough to see what's in it for them. Um, they understand what Jesus has done, but they see it revolving around them. Jesus came to take away my sins. Jesus came to pay for my place in heaven. Jesus came to teach me how to do life better. Jesus came to fix my problems and take away my worries. And Jesus does all of those things for God's people because he loves you. But it doesn't all revolve around you or me. It should all terminate to the glory of God. It should revolve around him. And we need to understand the gospel well enough to see it all revolving around God. So if you aren't able to contemplate the scheme of God's plan in Christ and be moved to praise and glorify God by what you see, well, uh, my challenge to you is you should hit the books, uh, particularly the book of Romans, which is the clearest, most profound book in the New Testament that lays out the plan of God. See how the plan of the eternal God works and don't just marvel at what you get out of it, but marvel at the God who is behind it all, his wisdom, his power and his love. There's plenty of digging to be done into the Bible to understand the plan of God well and to see it clearly. Uh, we all have a way to go to fully appreciate the glory of God's wisdom and power in every aspect of his plan. The book of Romans still holds some mysteries that I certainly um, haven't plumbed the depths of yet. Um, but we mustn't give up trying to understand it better, the better to glorify God. Because having outlined it all, what's Paul's response is to glorify God. So that's the first thing, seek to understand the gospel well enough. The second thing is, seek to be established according to the gospel yourself. Um, I think there's a challenge in this, in that God is establishing us, and that's very good, but most people are very actively also trying to establish themselves in life. Uh, they want a good job, they want a good house, they want it paid off, they want a stable family, they want their kids to be set up and their grandkids, they want to be secure in retirement. Uh, some want to establish themselves as a winner in this world or at least as a very good, respectable person. But the essence of the Christian faith is not to establish yourself, it's to let God establish you according to his gospel. It's to find your identity in Christ. It's to see your status in Christ. It's to find your treasure in Christ and your destiny in Christ and your value in Christ. 
What did Jesus say to his disciples when they'd had a big win on their mini mission and they came back and they said, even the spirits submit to us, uh, we're winning. Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but that your names are written in heaven. In other words, seek your establishment, not in your success, whatever that may look like, but in this. Uh, And that is, of course, a far more secure foundation on which to build your life than whatever you can achieve for yourself. God's plan for his people comes from eternity past, long ages. Uh, It goes into eternity future, that is forever. It's overseen by the eternal God. And so to have a part in his plan is far better than whatever plans we might have for ourselves. Uh, And it leads to his glory rather than ours, which is only right. And that, that means we need to keep looking to God and his plans for us in the gospel and see ourselves in that light yes of course we need to get on with our lives and make plans in this world etc you know uh, jobs and houses and families and everything else you need that but who i am and why i'm here and the things that i value and the things that i fear all of those things should be defined by the gospel rather than my earthly plans if my job, if my ministry, if my family, if my, all my friendships fall apart, what am I still going to have? Well, I would hope I've still got a whole lot if God has established me according to his gospel, because that's who I am uh, and the most important thing. What a blessing it is to have our status before God and our place in eternity set, established, and how wonderful it is that God is able to do that for us in Christ. And we cheapen that blessing if we turn around and then try to establish ourselves and find our own significance through worldly things. We glorify God if we trust in him. So what does that look like in our lives? Well, number three is, the third thing we can do, grow in the obedience of faith. Here in verse 26, as the gospel is preached and God's plan comes to touch people, the nations, what it brings about in their life is something called the obedience of faith. And what, th- what that's telling us, I think, is that it not only glorifies God when a person becomes a Christian in faith, he is then glorified through their ongoing obedience as a Christian. After all, that is how you know that God is establishing a person in their life. It's through obedience, their obedience. I'm not sure that we think very often or very well uh, in in terms of obedience to God. And sometimes maybe we're even pretty okay with a certain amount of disobedience. Um, This is a challenge to us, I think, not to be happy with mediocre obedience. The obedience of faith is the evidence that God is establishing us in the gospel. And so most importantly, Christian obedience glorifies God. Now... Sometimes maybe we think a little bit too narrowly and a little bit too shallowly about obedience. I'm not in the habit of stealing. I'm not in the habit of, or I'm avoiding pornography. I don't tend to swear. Therefore, I'm obedient. Fine, tick. But maybe there are some areas of our lives in which we're not being obedient, um, which we don't think about very often or very deeply. Are you hoarding money? unnecessarily and refusing to be generous that is disobedience do you tolerate your own foul temper because whoever you you give a spray to deserves it anyway that's disobedience do you tolerate a certain level of lust 
Well, that's disobedience. Do you overwork? That is disobedience. Do you underwork? That's disobedience. Do you neglect your wife? Have you given up on your husband? Are you, you refusing to forgive the person whom, who has wronged you? Or are you harboring bitterness towards someone who doesn't like you? I think we put lots of things in the category of, gee, it would be nice to be that godly. You know, you think in those terms, it would be nice to be godly, really, really godly so I could do that. Whereas in fact, maybe we're just being disobedient to God by not doing those things. So we need to audit our lives, our hearts, regularly and stay in the fight for obedience. Don't just surrender to being mediocre. Uh, Christian obedience glorifies God. That's what it looks like to be strengthened, to be established by God. Learn the obedience of faith. This is not so much something we do to add to God's glory. This is something that God does in us as he establishes us to reveal his own glory. He establishes a people who are his. It is a remarkably glorious thing for God to take frail, sinful people and establish them as his people. That is, he justifies, he reconciles, he makes us his children and in the process he unifies a people from every nation as his own, fit for eternity. The way that he's doing it shows great wisdom and power and love. So how can you and I make God look good? We can understand and trust what he's done for us and we can cooperate with what he is doing in us in these ways. So let's pray that God uh, empowers us, establishes us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your magnificent plan of salvation, culminating in nothing less than the death of your son on the cross. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has uh, been preached for thousands of years and has now reached us. And thank you that, according to that gospel, you are establishing us as your people. Please continue establish, to establish each of us in our lives. Please teach us the obedience of faith and open our eyes to your plan so that we can truly glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.